Welcome to the 301 Podcast, the interview podcast for the hottest up-and-coming entrepreneurs, artists, and creators. Real, authentic, and inspiring. And here is your host, Marcus Engel. Let's get it started in 301. Welcome back to the 301 Podcast. And today we talked to an up-and-coming content creator, photographer, and videographer. And we talked to Alexander Bund, aka Lexmouth. We had a very open and honest conversation about creativity. We talked about what it takes to start on your own and how you start on your own. We had a moral discussion on when you should take a picture as a photographer. And one thing that really stood out for me was the inner conflict that Alex has on being on the one hand a very business-minded business analyst and on the other hand being a super creative head. So those two worlds collide uh, also in the podcast and that I found really funny and want to point out here in the beginning. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast and let's get it started in 3, 0, 1. Alex, welcome to the 301 podcast today all the way from Berlin. I'm very Cheers. happy that you're here today. Thank you very much for the invite. What a, what a nice surprise. What a nice coincidence. Yeah, and it's very funny because we just talked about it, um, how funny it actually is that you are here, uh, that we know each other um, through Janina, basically, who I know from Leowarden because I studied in the same city and uh, who's your girlfriend now. And uh, that really shows how sm small the world is. And big thank you to Janina that, I, that you are here today. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I love the Internet, because sometimes just random stuff happens that you completely did not expect. Exactly. Before we get into the topic, I want to give you quickly the chance to introduce yourself, who you are and uh, what you do. Right. Thank you very much. Um, my name is Alex. I'm uh, a photographer and filmmaker, actually, uh, kind of a self-made, self-taught photographer and filmmaker. Um, I did a completely different career. I am actually a business guy. I studied business uh, in my in my first way of education, so to say. Um, and then I decided, well, it's kind of, you know, kind of lame after five years of being in different industries. And I decided to quit my job and uh, became a photographer and filmmaker, something I did passionately on the side before, but uh, with, well, I never gave it the 100% of my time, right? So I, yeah, decided to do it full-time and become a full-time filmmaker and photographer. And that was nice. in beginning of last year and then corona happened <laughs> <laughs> and then corona happened and uh, i think we talk a little bit also about corona today of course it's always part of the, the podcast nowadays uh, you cannot uh, put this topic out because it's just so um, present i would say but you also started to do uh, weekly vlogs a couple of months ago uh, how is the vlog life treating you right right that's an interesting topic um yeah so that idea actually came up to my mind Uh, in the last second lockdown that uh, we encountered here in Germany, um, Berlin. And uh, my, my idea behind it was that for the second time in only less than a year, a lot of my jobs actually fell through as a freelancer, uh, which I'm very dependent on. And everything was kind of going uphill until that announcement that the second first soft lockdown and then more and more serious lockdown was coming. And suddenly I realized that I had Point one, a lot of free time on my hand to fill. And point two, I was curious about new media and new forms of expressing myself and, you know, trying out new things, basically. So I take I took it kind of as a chance, the second lockdown, to develop something new, which was vlogging, right? Um, I didn't want to, I mean, there's lots of vloggers out there that you know, and probably your audience uh, also knows about 
you know, vlogging on daily basis or vlogging on, on topics. And uh, I thought, why don't I give myself uh, a goal of vlogging, of, of producing one vlog every week where I look into a topic and I really put some quality time into it, right? And that's, that was kind of my idea. I started with one week and said, hey, why don't I produce a video next week as well? And I did that for 14 weeks. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at right now. Coming to the yes. second point of the question, I'm kind of waiting at the moment to continue vlogging because there's a lot of learning to achieve from it. Yeah. Uh, what, what learnings, for example? Uh, it takes a lot of time. <laughs> that's, I think, <laughs> the biggest learning I, I took, I took from, from uh, developing a vlog. I mean, vlogging per se just means you're talking into camera and explain topics, describe your life or do something creative, right? It can be everything, anything, really. I mean, I could, you could technically pick up your phone, talk into your camera, run around your neighborhood, run around your room for I care, and, and talk about things. It could be your favorite lipstick color. It could be your last uh, item you bought in a grocery shop, or it could be any, any political topic as well, right? Anything kind of gets the label vlogging because you're basically doing a video log, right? But I never, I was never interested in, in just shouting out information, right? I didn't want to do a, in, in inverted commas, pointless vlog about nonsense like shopping halls or I don't know, colors of the sky. Instead, I, I felt that there was messages that I really wanted to portray stories and in the small circle of Berlin in the bigger picture that I was interested in. And more and more of these topics came along my way while I was doing these vlogs. Best example was the closure of our beloved airport here in Berlin, Tegel Airport. Um, there was a topic where I thought, wow, actually it's, it's quite interesting because I stumbled over a documentary and I thought, wow, that's a great topic. So it was really topic-based, I would say. Yeah, and I think one thing that is really remarkable, so also a big recommendation to all the listeners um, to, to watch the vlogs because they are also very well researched, <laughs> like you really put a lot of time into it. And um, so how, how do you create those those vlogs? How much time goes into planning, into filming, into editing? Because what one thing that you can see that's very coherent, so like <laughs> you leave one place and then the next place kind of also makes sense that you are like there and also the way you you put everything together. So it's very well researched. So I was wondering how much time goes into it for you to create a weekly vlog? Well, that's a good question because you don't actually want to know. Uh, it's, it depends, of course, on, there was one, one learning, right? I mean, the first learning is it takes a lot of time to vlog if you want to do quality vlogs. The second point is it, the, the, of course, the time you invest into the development depends on how long you're actually vlogging right if you do a one minute vlog it can be done literally in one minute plus a bit of editing if you want to do a bit more of explanation and research behind this goes up to x basically and for and i don't have an average but i started basically with um a kpi i mean see i'm i'm quite a um I come from a very data-driven background, right? As, as a business analyst, that was my job before I quit my job. My last job before I quit my job was a project analyst. So I was analyzing data day in, day out. And so I set myself a KPI, which was um, minutes, 
invested for every second that is playback time on YouTube, right? So if you press play on one of my videos and you see one minute, uh, sorry, one second, that on average took me four minutes to, to produce. Now I'm thinking myself six minute format somewhere in, in that area, but it kind of boiled down to like a 10 minute video would have been like a 40 hour uh, investment, so to say. That was for one of my videos. I did a video about, you know, a tech video. I always wanted to do a tech video. So I created a tech video and ended up 10 hours uh, being 10 minutes. And I had to invest 40 hours in pre-production, that is research, uh, planning your shots and then shooting, like setting up your light and, and you know, talking into the camera and rehearsing a bit and stuff like that. And then editing and cutting and post-production and then adding in some effects and these kind of things. And of course, all of that swallows up a huge amount of time. So yeah, for the 10 minute video, that was in the end 40 hours. And learning number three, the longer I actually vlogged, the more weeks passed, of course, the, you know, the if more efficient I got. And there is efficiencies in, in this in this medium, of course, as well. Uh, I mean, if you look at, at bloggers um, that produce vlogs on a daily basis, which now I found a huge respect for, uh, that, of course, can't take 40 hours because a day can only have 24 hours for living, yeah. eating, breathing, I don't know, sleeping, and of course, also shooting a video about it and then editing it. But since I've been doing the weeklies, it's crazy because I can only imagine how much work it is to create a video like this every day. But that was another learning. It depends again on how much effort you put into research, right? If you just mm -hmm. shout out, oh, guys, I've been shopping and this is my favorite new t-shirt. Of course, that you know doesn't require so much research on, on your topic. But yeah, for me, researching certain topics it just it it, it was quite a, a task it was a fun task right you learn a lot about all the different topics that i also care about um, and that i thought were quite relevant not just for me but also either the crowd in berlin that i was there was you know that's my my kind of bubble in berlin but also more like the general public because everybody who's visiting you know berlin after corona will have to go through one of the airports or a train station, right? So yeah. I thought, hey, we have one airport that's closing, another one that's opening. So what's the story behind? And it's funny because there's lots of, of these topics that, you know, it, it first appears that they are happening in the background and it's, it's regular business. But then you look into them and you realize there's a story behind, there's a narrative and you can pick these narratives up and you can develop them. And in this aspect or in this respect, make this story available to everybody. Yeah. And are there any vloggers that you looked up for, for inspiration? Like that oh. you... Yeah, of course. I mean, we all, we all have seen a couple of, of people on, on YouTube, right? That, well, speaking for myself, I've always followed the, the vlogging and the videos of Casey Neistat, for example. Yeah. Big inspiration for me, just in terms of the you know, the, the fact that he started vlogging regularly, like first he did, he's a filmmaker from New York for everybody who doesn't know him. He started doing his, his filmmaking career and then he started vlogging on a daily basis. And that was just blowing my mind. I think that was back in 2015 or something or 14. Yeah. And then I followed every single vlog and I was just obsessed with it. 
Um, and from there on, there's, there's a couple of more, you know, now we would say YouTubers that I, I really liked. Others that I followed and I realized, well, it's kind of going in the direction where it's, you know, they're talking about kind of more the weather, you know, like more, you know, how's the weather like and what am I doing with my family, which I personally, I realized that this is time that you kind of just, I'm careful to say wasted, but you know how, you know what I mean? You know how you feel when you, you observe other people living. Right. I think there's just, what is the value added in the end for me? I see how a person walks through their day, you know, uh, but what is in the end, after I look back at my last eight minutes, I spent on that video, what did I take away from it? What did I learn? What, what is the, what's the value added for me, except that I saw that this person liked pasta, you know? So that's always something that developed in my mind over the years and that I took into, or that influenced my, my way of, of well doing videos. Um, mm. And I think it's, for me, that's really, really valuable because if somebody watches my video, the number one should be uh, there's some takeaway for that person and the time that the person spent to, to watch my video is like, is like, I, I respect that, right? I, it's, it's my, my number one priority to make it worth for the viewer. Do you think it is an endless, um, it is an endless task to do like vlogging because if you look at all the big vloggers that at one point it was just like either repeating itself and they stopped or the users or the, or the viewers just decreased because it was not interesting because like he's doing all over the same topic you know what i mean so it was for example casey neistat also i think he he stopped because there was only that much that he could film anymore right like it's just not um, interesting enough anymore for for people to watch it I mean, yes and, and no. Um, I mean, it's an interesting question because the, the question behind us is what pushes people to press the record button? What pushes people to press the upload button to YouTube? And I mean, in the case of, of some of the vloggers, I think after some time, this work really drains you. If you look at daily, daily vlogging, which means you wake up, you start filming your day, And before you go to bed, you put all the footage, all the gigabytes of data that you accumulated over the, the course of your regular day, you put it into your laptop, you cut, you, you go through all of that footage, you cut the best parts out, try to make it as entertaining as possible because otherwise your viewers are not going to watch it. I mean, if you do, I don't know, an hour and a half of vlogging per day, it doesn't work. So I would say anywhere between five minutes and, and 10 minutes somewhat is, is okay-ish. And then, I mean, what's next? You put it on the internet and you just, you know, press upload, hope for the best and go to bed and repeat it every single day. That's the kind of the task of a, of a daily vlogger, right? So mm. the question I'm asking myself then is, is always how much drain, you know, how much brain drain does it cause in that person, in that vlogger? I mean, there's certain examples of, of people Uh, of vloggers out there. And I don't want to, you know, talk too much about other people, other vloggers, but um, in, in certain instances, there was a shift where a sec like another filmer was included. So there's like another person of filming this person, just living their life and then cutting that. So kind of outsourcing that daunting task of filming and doing all of that. 
In the case yeah. of Casey Neistat, to make it concrete, I think after a couple of years, literally years, I just think it's either it, it, it gets dull and boring or it's just, as you said, there's no stories to tell anymore. But then again, you know, with these kind of big YouTubers that actually finance their life over YouTube, there's always something happening. There's a conference, then you do a talk, then you fly over there, then da, 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 da. there's always mm. something worth showing. And but I must say, my, my biggest assumption here is that it just, it, it drains your batteries until you can't record anymore, literally like a camera. So, you know, your camera goes bad and, and your batteries doesn't recharge anymore. And then you wake up and you just don't want to do it. And it, to be honest, that's, 100% what happened to me. A couple of observations I did while vlogging. Uh, I mean, first of all, you. I mean, in my case, I didn't do it on, on a daily, but on a weekly basis. And lots of the days, you know, I, I took, for example, two days to research a topic, right? Do a fundamental research in, in, in magazines, watch documentaries about a certain topic, uh, script everything out. That was my regular workflow. Then I went to a top to, to a location. I started filming usually on one day. Then I took an, an entire night to sleep over it because it, I couldn't cut it in the same night, right? I filmed for a day, went home, had a sleep over the night. Next morning, woke up, started editing, did the edit, did the effects and so on and so on. And that kind of, you know, almost went on for an entire week. If you do it for 40 hours, including all the research, then you kind of upload, you go to sleep and you wake up and start doing it again, right? And after some time, it puts... A certain tension in your mind because you know that point one you have to upload right you have to keep on your rhythm because and i think that's a bigger topic in there otherwise you're the way that you are um you're perceived on on the platform youtube is um how can i say this you you kind of get a um you get flagged by the by the algorithm or by by youtube itself if you that's also not not right to say. The point is, only if you upload videos regularly will the algorithm behind pick up your your profile and, and your channel, right? Especially if you want to grow, you need to work on consistency. You need to be there every week, every week, every week, and that starts to um, this determine your your rhythm. If you do it on a daily, you know that if you miss out a day, the algorithm is not going to be happy about that behavior. If you if you miss your your if you you know upload a video every every week once a week, if you don't upload it on Sunday but on Monday, you might miss out on a chance to you know reach to increase your reach, yeah. and that leads to a, a phenomenon where suddenly your mind uh, and your your daily habit is is kind of um, managed by an algorithm because you know that if you don't you know shoot your video today and, and edit it tomorrow. You can't upload it by tomorrow evening and then you're in trouble by the algorithm so that's something that where you know i realized my week kind of started circulating around this this you know hypothetical algorithm that's deciding if i'm going to be viral or not and that is just an interesting thing i learned a lot about you know if, if you if you put a lot of time into these kind of things you of course start to learn how the algorithm behaves how you're getting ranked and these kind of things and there's, you know, it's not that easy. It is not, it is not so straightforward as you sometimes think when watching these videos. Oh, this person has a million viewers and whatever. There's a lot of, a lot of 
things behind that you need to take into account in order to you know reach that goal so it's yeah. it's really hard work and it's yeah it is quite something i think the, the only person that really cracked this code a little bit is mr beast right now right well i i think there's a couple that that know how to play it well um it, it's becoming uh, a more sophisticated industry i would say especially youtube i mean There's entire revenue streams for people, right? I mean, you can be a full-time YouTuber and kids these days don't want to become a cop or don't want to become, become I don't know, a pilot. Number one is to, to be an influencer or YouTuber. So that's, yeah. um, you know, without judging, it's it's just a change in the, the way that jobs are, are looked at. No. It's weird. I mean, in the end, it's entertainment, right? I mean, in most in most cases of, especially in vlogging, it's entertainment. You want to captivate a crowd with via different things, either effects or like tutorials. You, you know, you have a knowledge gap, something. There's always something where you need to capture people's attention in this entire flood of attention-seeking people out there. And that's entertainment. Was it difficult for you to, to be in front of the camera? Um, I ask I ask this question because when you look in to your vlogs, for example, from twentieth uh, of uh, September or like beginning of September, then a lot of times you also use the front camera more. So when you, and it was quite interesting that like now the vlogs that are more recent, uh, you use like the frontal facing camera, so like that you see your face. Was it difficult for you in the beginning, like to to be more in front of the camera? Um, it's also an interesting question because that was one of the goals I had with my vlogging, my, my vlogging, let's say in, in inverted com commas, uh, vlogging career, <laughs> um, I wanted to be more, uh, sophisticated in front of the camera. So, you know, I have to take a step back. The goal that I have as a filmmaker is to tell human stories. That's what I do. I don't care about landscape. I don't care about cars. I don't care about, I don't know, a machine. I care. I don't care about the cameras in front. I care about telling people stories. That's what I do. That's what I make my money with. And if you want to tell a story, you can, of course, do that by putting a camera into a, pe a person's face and filming them and editing it together to find a narrative that, you know, other people understand and find entertaining or find mindful or find, find inspiring or find, you know, trustworthy to buy a product behind. I don't, you know, there's many, many things behind. The thing is, though, that one way to, to do this is to tell the story yourself. And since in this lockdown, I couldn't really, you know, take one of my good looking friends uh, to, to ask to be in front of the camera. I, I just did it myself and I didn't have so much fright or anxiety to stand in front of the camera. It came quite natural to me, but of course it takes, it is a bit different than You know, if you want to tell a story with a bit of substance, I think substance is a, is a proper word here. Um, so mm -hmm. you can't just, I didn't, you know, it looks, it looks very easy to, to see a five minute video. And if you see a guy, you know, doing gymnastics in front of a camera and talking about, I don't know, infrastructure projects or, or, or the new airport or, uh, I don't know, restaurants or opening your own bar or whatever. But in the end, all of that, uh, was quite a lot of, of preparation by you know scripting and visualizing what i want to say and then talking freely in front of a camera just as i'm talking into this computer right now so it's a bit of practice it's a bit of i kind of knew how it's how it was going already and uh the rest is just practice 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 mm. 
Yeah, you said in the beginning already uh, that you started or you worked as a as a business analyst and then went into photography. And now you said, uh, I want to tell human stories. How how did you start um, to make this decision also to quit and to go into a total different direction? Right. Um, that was it's an interesting question because it's it's a process, right? Um, I've I've been talking to a lot of people about this, and and it's you know there's in in seldom seldomly there's this one instance where you just say, oh my god, my my pot of of like if I'm if I have a big pot of of uh, of patients. Uh, there's just one drop too much and it's overflowing now and I want to quit and I need to quit. That was not the case for me. And I think in, in many people out there, this is not the case. We as humans, we don't wait until we explode and then we rage quit. You know, it's not the mic drop moment where you go to your boss and say, I hate everybody here and bye. It's more a creeping feeling that I got in myself over a couple of years that uh, I realized that I really love creative work i like thinking a bit you know in, in other in other forms not just in in the case of numbers not just in black and white excel sheets but also maybe a little bit different about certain decisions and topics so it was kind of a growing a growing topic in myself i first went i, I realized i had to change something right because the 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 work I was doing was was fun. I was I, I liked going to the office. Even on Monday mornings, I didn't find it difficult to to go to the office. I, I was I was happy. I was happy to see my colleagues. Of course, I was also happy to have a you know steady income, which was good, great. But as we as in many cases, and as with many people, I had the feeling that there was something just more out there, and not just this you know doing this kind of job for the rest of my life. And in few cases mm -hmm. in these days, do we actually have a job? And stick with that job for the rest of our life, and that's not the, the case in my, you know, in my company I was working for. It was also there was opportunities, right? But I decided that nobody was going to hand me this opportunity. I realized that, and my first decision was to ask my boss if it was possible to go and reduce my job into a part-time position. And that was, I think, the beginning of this decision in the end to 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 leave the company. Um, But I first realized that a nice way to test this, you know, test new ground was to take one day per week off and do something different, do something else. And I had a, I had a friend who had a startup. He's an entrepreneur here in Berlin. And I knew him from working in another of his startups uh, in my, during my studies. So I helped him out in, a, in, a, in one of his startups before realized he needed somebody and I asked him if, if he needed somebody in logistics and operations, which was kind of my, uh, my specialization. So it kind of fit, right? I could take what I already knew. It was not about creative, a creative job. I could take what I already knew, skills I already knew, and I was very confident about and could employ it in a different business setting. And mm -hmm. that helped me to open my mind. I was, I stayed with a, with this situation, with this setup for a year and a half. It was very frightening for me to approach my boss and say, Hey, Would you be okay to give me one kind of give me a day of my life back? Uh, and he was very, uh, that was a really lucky situation for me because my boss was very supportive. Uh, and from there on, I just took one day every week off to work in the, in the startup of my friend. And it was eye opening in, in many aspects. Um, and it helped me to solidify my idea of, of just doing my own thing. 
without risking too much because of course if you have one day you know less per week you you, you get like 20 percent less money every month but it was still enough for me and i could actually take this time and invest it into something that i was passionate about and you know i was also okay with my job my, my regular job but this i was suddenly i had this opportunity to valve or this valve to um yeah to really channel all the energy I had left in my tank. And I think this is the this is really relevant in, in our generation because we I know it from a lot of my friends and people I, I met over the course of the years. I have the feeling that in many cases we have a lot of power in our tank left, but just we're looking for the right cause, right? This question, what, why, and all of, you know, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What, what is it doing? Generation Y, right? It's, it is, there's something below it. And I just had to discover it myself. And it, it wasn't crazy. I didn't say, hey, blah, 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 I quit. I just, after this year of working the startup, I realized, hey, you know what? It was, it's really cool. With this startup, it, it kind of goes into direction and understand it and all of that. That's cool. But I want to. I'm ready for this now. I want to do my own. I want to go into this creative direction. And it coincided because in that year where I made this decision, it was late 2019. I came back from a very inspiring trip. Uh, I talked about it in one of my in one of my vlogs. Um, there was a trip to Tajikistan. I was on a very creative uh, filming adventure. We ran, we filmed a documentary about friends of us who ran across the entire country of Tajikistan from the Afghanistan border to the Chinese border. Super inspiring trip, middle of nowhere, really took my mind off. And I realized, hey, you know what? This year, 2019, all the free time I had, all the you know, regular uh, vacation days, I invested into creative jobs. And that was the moment where I realized, you know what? I have to do it. I have to do it. I have to do it. Let's face yeah. it. I mean, I have to do it. Come on. Who am I kidding? You know, like, come on. All my time invested into this already a part time. I, I even inside the company, I went into more creative direction by joining the marketing team for half a year. Also something I triggered, right? I didn't wait for an opportunity. I said, hey, maybe the marketing team, there's a little bit more creative dynamics than in, you know, in the operations I was working in, the data analysis I was working in. So I went into the marketing team, realized, okay, it's still a big company, which is completely fine. And I'm not blaming it because it's just the way that big companies organize themselves. I realized, you know what, that's all cool. I tried it, you know, I tried this, I tried this, and now I just have to take the consequence. And I think this is very, I think this is what our generation should be about, being consequential about your ideas. It's not, you know, a lot of people tell me, boy, that's, bro, that's so, so bold, man. That's so bold to, to quit your job. And I just think, you know what? There's lots of people that do bold things. And I'm not talking about Red Bull extreme sports. I'm talking about people that risk their life for their job, for example, or risk their life to protect others. These kind of yeah. things, you know, there's lots of people that, that do bold things. And I just think my decision to quit my job and do my own thing i think that was just consequential yeah definitely and you also have like the security i mean you have a good education like you can always go go back into into jobs as well and uh, i think that that 
gives you also like a certain degree of like uh, security as well absolutely if you, if you if you work on this hey you, you said uh, uh, i think really quite funny it's nice to to um uh, put this bridge <laughs> to, to that topic because you said uh, that the people or, or the, the children uh, nowadays want to become a youtuber and one question that i wrote down was um was this your like did you also have a dream job as a as a child yeah actually i wanted to become a helicopter pilot <laughs> when i was when i was little i was obsessed with helicopters i really liked helicopters and the fact that you can lift off every, anywhere and you know for me as a as, as young alex i thought you could really you know go around the world in a helicopter i really loved this mm. and <laughs> then i had a a very you know eye-opening experience in a job center a german job center you know where really all the, the stereotypes that are happening in your mind about a German bureaucratic job center, it's true. And I was there when I was, I don't know, 10 years, I don't know, maybe 13, 14, 15. And I told the person, you know, it was just a school trip we did to the job center and kind of like find your path incentive by the school. And, you know, my class and I, we, we, we went there during the school time. We had a trip there and, There was like, you know, some talks and blah, blah, blah. And then there was a person who talked to you about what you want to do and blah, blah, blah. So I kind of said, hey, you know, I, I, I feel like doing becoming a pilot. And then that was the first time when I was confronted with the reality, you know, with, okay, there's two ways you can become a helicopter pilot. Either you go to the military or you, uh, you kind of do your own education and then try to work as an ambulance helicopter pilot or civil pilot, right? Uh, and I'm like, well... Cool. So I'm not really that forward to, I don't know, go into a military career. Not really my thing. Never really thought yeah. about it, but it didn't feel right for me. Um, and then, yeah, also don't want to just pay up front 60,000 euros to finance my own helicopter pilot education. So what am I going to do? And I couldn't really come up with a clever plan as a 15 year old to become a helicopter pilot. So that was kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> and instead I went more into I, I went more with what my gut was telling me and that was to leave my village where I was being brought up and leave my city behind and learn more about the world and discover the world a bit more that was really my goal number one maybe the helicopter pilot was just in there you know like I wanted to to see other places because you could have a machine that took you there but then lucky for me maybe, you know, maybe still, you can still come, eh? yeah I don't know. Civil aviation turned out to be just as you know affordable um, over the years, and then I realized that I really wanted to see the world, and that's why I studied international business in that case because I wanted to to have more of an international um, perspective on things. And my university was really great because my university required everybody to do a semester abroad, which was my dream. I wanted to go abroad and study abroad and live abroad, and it was really a dream for me. So that really was going in that direction can, can you still remember your the first picture that you took that you were really proud of wow interesting question um so yeah actually during my my so i went abroad and, and studied in in asia right i i scored a, a position at a university in singapore and for me that was the first time i could leave europe towards the east um, and that was, I was super excited. So I, 
a couple of years earlier, I started to pick up photography as a, as a hobby, just um, initially for me to, um, as a, almost like a chronological um, way of, of capturing memories, right? I didn't want to lose the memories that there were and I couldn't, I couldn't write it all down what I experienced. Instead, I took a picture because then I thought I would never forget this moment in time be it with my friends or be it of a beautiful sunrise. I wanted to not forget things. And that was why I took pictures. And when I went abroad, I, it was clear for me that I, I wanted to take all the pictures there were, right? Take all the pictures. That's what I thought. So I, I bought a secondhand camera um, from, from a dude off Craigslist on, in Singapore. And I started taking pictures of the travels we did there. And there was um, one one of the travels we did towards the end we were done with our semester and it was just all travels and we were really really excited and it's a couple of years back really i think it was 2012 and i met really cool people that you know traveled with me just in my exchange semester we went to to myanmar um a country that i've i only heard about in a, in a robbie williams song you know and we brought to, to mandalay and i was like wow that sounds so exotic i want to go there and we, we went there and it was super super funny because at that time there was exactly one ATM in the entire country. Um, it was very, very adventurous. It was a super, super cool trip. And I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it was a bit more exotic than your average Thai beach area island that everybody wanted mm. to go to. And there were a couple of, of pictures that I took there that were really, really cool. And that really meant a lot to me, um, you know, of, of people were asked, hey, is it okay if I could take a picture of you, um, for example, in a, in, in, a, in a tobacco plantation in close to the to Lake Inlay. That was, I, I just saw a scene and there was an elderly guy sitting there. He wrote himself a cigarette and with like fresh, um, freshly uh, seasoned or blended tobacco. And he was sitting there in the entire calmness, like it was almost the, the calmness before the storm. And mm. the way he was sitting, his posture, how he was sitting in one of those houses, these were houses that were built inside of the, the lake. So they were all like built on stilts and he was sitting there overlooking the lake and he was just thoughtful. So I calmly approached him and, and asked him if I could take a picture just of the way he was sitting there and he was smiling and nodding and smiled to me and just went about his business, you know, and it was a very peaceful situation. And I'm, yeah, that when I took that picture, I realized that it was the first time that I actually saw something and not just like point and clicked it, you know, I didn't see, oh, there's a cloud behind a volcano. And it was more like a scene. I saw a scene happening and I approached it and tried to make the most of it without being, you know, without pressing your finger on the shutter forever and just clicking a thousand pictures, you know? I think I took two frames there. I took two different frames and that was it. Yeah. And I think it lines up very much with your, maybe you didn't know it by then, but like telling human stories, it's really interesting that it's again a human that you a photographer or like, maybe yeah. it's not even that, that surprising, right? In the end, because it's just, uh, you are way more attracted by humans than maybe by nature or buildings or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, cats or dogs can't really tell stories. I, I really love cat videos and dog videos on the internet. That's probably my favorite part of the internet. But yeah, I mean, for me, I realized that being able to communicate with, you know, 
beings and and tell their story or tell a narrative over that is is what i'm really interested and keen on on doing yeah no is there is there like a, a compliment um that you hear from others a lot about uh, yourself or <laughs> the work you do <laughs> it's it's funny um because just a a couple of months ago it was last year right there was in february last year it was carnival so German 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 listeners know, of course, about Carnival. It's a street festival in, in the west of Germany, especially Cologne. And um, I went and, and saw a friend of mine uh, for for Carnival, right? My friend is named Patrick. I went to see Patrick, my good buddy from university, and he's living in Cologne. So I thought, hey, before I'm taking off to to Canada to see friends there and work there, I I just you know stop by for for a day of Carnival. What can go wrong? That was in February last year, you know, just a few, maybe like six weeks before the coronavirus in Germany as well. Um, it was all just, it's, it looks very distant in my mind already, but it was literally last last February. So I went there and we had a, a super cool, um, you know, start into the day. We dressed up in costumes, as you do in Carnival, went to a friend of his who invited us for breakfast, right? And for all the non-Germans, uh, you, you start a good uh, breakfast for carnival is with a so-called met eagle right so that's minced meat um fresh minced meat that you put uh probably finger thick onto a, a fresh bread roll and then you put a bit of of onions on it and you, you eat it that's 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 your breakfast um or like a nutella slice you know a slice of bread and nutella and of course 10 to 15 kölsch beers you know so that's what you do. You crank up the music, the carnival music, and everybody's dressed up in costumes. It's a very cheerful morning. The sun was shining with a balcony. It was fantastic. And I mean, I'm, I'm, well, not the not the you know enthusiast about uh, about minced meat anymore. But uh, it was just it was so so cliche and so great and just the, the 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 sensation. It was fantastic because his friends were really kind and they invited us and. Fantastic. And then there was a group of, of girls at that party, right? It was a small house party evolved around us. It was, you know, we were basically getting ready to to go to the street, street carnival. And it was a, a small group of, of friends around us. And some, I mean, some of the, uh, I mean, by now, when I think about, you know, people inside of, of closed rooms, I'm thinking how many people were there. But back then it was also the, you know, the happy world. So uh, a couple of, of uh, friends of him wanted to have a, a picture. And they were, you know, just envision it in front of your mind, uh, in front of your eyes. There was somebody having a, a, a camera, like a selfie, uh, like a, a just regular phone, selfie moding over like an extended arms, you know, stiff arming themselves, like, you know, from this top angle, it's like clicking a couple of, of photos. And when I see this, I immediately know that the picture is going to be shit because there's a framing and, you know, all of this. And that's kind of a, a problem as a photographer as well, because when you see this, you you know, I, I went over there and I said, hey, uh, should I take a picture? And um, they said, yeah, yeah, that's cool. In that situation, in that very instance, my friend, um, of, a friend of Patrick said, oh, yeah, he's a photographer. He's actually a photographer. He's, a phot he's really good at taking pictures. And I'm like, okay, the, the, the pressure's on. So I said, anyways, okay. <laughs> and I just, you know, took a couple of pictures. And that was not rocket science. It, it, taking a picture is not rocket science. And I'm not actually that good at it. It's just, you take, you do a couple of, you know, you, you go through a couple of things in your mind. Okay, is every is, is the horizon, uh, you know, is it is it even? Is it is it a bit tilted? Is it even? 
is everybody in the frame? Uh, is is the framing okay? Like everybody's faces is on there and everybody's smiling and now, you know, en engaging everybody saying, hey, smile everybody and I'll get crazy. So I took a couple of pictures, a, a very good life hack. If you want to take good pictures, take a couple, you know, with a phone, it doesn't matter. Just take 10 because in a group picture, there's always one who says, oh no, I don't like that. If you take 15 pictures, they can still delete it and it's not your space. Don't worry. I mean, it's their, their phone space, you know? So rather take 20 different angle and, and just try it and click, 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 click. Don't worry. There's no film that can be, you know, full. So I just took a couple of angles, but I thought, okay, that's funny. And I just said maybe three engaging words, like, okay, now just like scream like it's carnival. And they went crazy. And I took the picture and I just gave them the phone. I turned around and I, I could, in the back of my mind, in the back of my head, I saw them reviewing the picture, how you always do it, right? You're a group of friends, everybody, you know, stands across, stands around the phone and looks at it and just reviews the picture together. And they went through the pictures and I turned around to my friends and I just kind of nodded. And in that very instant, they went crazy. They said like, oh my God, that's so great. You know, and Germans are not really going crazy that often, but suddenly the entire room was looking and it was a bit uncomfortable for me because I was like, well, I just took a fucking phone picture. But they loved it so much. They were like, "Wow, you're such a great photographer!" And of course, then <laughs> you also enjoy that, right? As a as a photographer, and yeah. it was the second month of for me to be to calling myself a full time photographer now. So that was a really good situation where I thought, you know what? That's actually thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Because there's also other instances where I'm asking somebody for I don't know on, on, a, on a touristic motive, and I'm just like, okay. Do you, do you want to have a picture taken of both of you? So not one is taking uh, the picture of the other or you have a selfie stick, which you always see in a picture. And there was also instances where they're like, yeah, yeah, of course, that's great. And then I took a picture. I remember fondly one one instance and then uh, I gave them their phone back and I was confident that was a proper shot because you could see everything and the, you know, the side or the Ferris wheel in the background or whatever, and they were properly exposed and stuff. And then they looked at it and they said, no, we don't like it. <laughs> like what? <laughs> That's a really good picture. And they're like, no, they, they don't, and we don't like it. And I said, okay, should we, I take another one? Take yeah, can, 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 can we can we get another one? And then I said, okay, whatever. I, I did a couple of more pictures. I really, you know, stressed it, and I went in and did a couple of angles. I gave it back to them, and they were like, never mind. And I'm like, I'm so, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> so that also happens. So yeah, it's mm. subjective. It's it's just yeah, a photo. for sure. <laughs> But, but I think that's, uh, I think in the end, it's also art, right? Like also uh, for some people, like you see some pictures and they look at it and they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. But for some, they, they just don't feel the connection. I think that's uh, the same, the same with art as well, I think. Yeah, I'm, you might be right. I, I, sometimes I think that, you know, photography can be art, but I would say in, in the majority of instances, photography is not art. It's with you know the the average the the average picture the average motif the average intention behind a picture it's not art and that's also okay it's not it's also okay not to call it art and just by calling it art it doesn't make a photo better to be honest mm. no you can just you know i don't know take a blurry picture reduce your shutter speed take a blurry picture of of some colorful tree in the in, in four and call it art yeah okay you can do that but does it make your picture better no mm. And uh, like you started late uh, 2019 with uh, photography. And uh, if you go through Instagram profile, you can see yourself in, uh, in Mexico, in uh, Tajikistan, 
in many, many different other places in, in Canada. What was your most exciting project so far? Wow, yeah. Sorry to bring it up again, but the Tajikistan project was, it was really exciting because it was the first time for me that I went onto a trip, a two-week trip, with a pure intention of doing, of coming up with a creative, like a deliverable, basically. And it was not even me doing the main film. I came along with this team to be the crew photographer and crew, kind of like the crew manager and goofball to, you know, get everybody's spirits up and take care that everybody was drinking enough water, these kind of things, and also taking pictures um, and and taking a bit of behind the scenes stuff, you know. So um, it was the the idea was to to film um, uh, an ultra run across this, the country, right, at elevations beyond what is good and evil in my mind for running, you know, for mm. for street running and then for trail running because all of that was across terrain that you don't even want to to go on a four wheel drive because it's so bumpy, you know. Like it's it's really like almost crawling up a, a hill, and all of it was going uphill up to four thousand two hundred meters. Yeah, try running there. Good luck. <laughs> I didn't like Crazy. it, and I was in marathon preparation, so I was about to run the the Berlin marathon, and so I was thinking, okay, I'm I'm quite okay, and I tried to run, uh, in the pace for, at one point. I mean, I, I ran like a, a half marathon here and there just um, to stay in 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 shape wherever it was possible because you know if some crazy tall German dude runs across the frame where you don't want to have, you know, where it's not in the story, it doesn't make sense, which is also understandable. So I also ran there. And then in one point I ran with my friend Gabe at an elevation of 4,000 something meters. And wow, I couldn't, I couldn't come up, like I couldn't keep the pace with him. He was just running at a level. Like if you run a sub four minute per kilometer pace at elevations above 4,000 meters, that's just for me, so lunatic. Um, but yeah, I mean, creatively speaking, that was a fantastic project because at that point in time, I had a very few instances where I was actually uh, in a spot and, and was just on a trip for the purpose of coming up with a creative deliverable. I mean, mm. before I went to LA to shoot for, for a sporting company um, and, and that was fun because we were there anyways for an event and, you know, stuff like this. And it was like some time, but this was really a trip where we had a year and a half planning just to make it happen. You know, like we're talking rugged terrain. We're talking, you know, north of the Wakan corridor where you, you know, things are a bit different there. If, if you see, um, you know, the news in this area of the world, it's it's just not fun to, to go in and just think everything is going to be all right. You need to be prepared and you need to be prepared to to not have a bodega where you can go and have some, some, some bottled water. You know, you need, you need to be, you need to be prepared. You need to to take these kind of things into consideration. What if somebody gets, you know, a bad stomach at, at this um, in this remoteness? You need to. Well, that's you know the German talking in me, but for me, it's really like, okay, how many medicine do I take with me? You know, so that was really cool. It was a super dope trip, and I'm I'm really mm -hmm. hoping it's not the last trip and we can do these kind of adventures very soon again. Yeah, it sounds super interesting. And also, I, uh, for everyone, um, the documentary is called Running the Roof. Exactly, um, yeah. Good definitely download. worth checking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and definitely worth checking out because uh, I just uh, saw the, the trailer and it looks uh, very impressive. And I think getting a little bit of insights from you uh, really shows how extreme it was because, uh, yeah, also running uh, 10 marathons in a no, yeah, 10 marathons in a in a row uh, under normal circumstances is already crazy for me. And so I can just imagine what it was in Tajikistan. 
Yeah, that was really a, a brief reminder that despite my, my schmuckness of, of being, uh, thinking I was a marathon shape, yeah, well, these guys <laughs> are just performing on a different level. And um, it's, yeah. it's just crazy what a human body is capable of. So I can really, yeah. really recommend it uh, to everybody, not just who's interested in running or ultra mar marathon running or these kind of things. Um, it's, it really is, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good story and good entertainment also for, for anybody who likes just nature and, and adventure, I would say. Yeah. And when you travel around, I mean, you just said it like you were in Tajikistan, um, in LA, in Canada, you travel around, you take the pictures, you um, have to film a lot. Are you someone that is like editing on the spot to have like the, the feeling of the moment, or do you need like some emotional distance between like the project itself and like the, the shots that are, that are taken? Or is that something that you that you do on the on the spot, like on the flight home? I mean, <laughs> immediately. If you, if you talk about, uh, you know, you talk to a German, so emotional distance is important. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I'm more, I'm more. Um, I I believe that I need to take some time to digest pictures I've seen because you see them both with your eyes and with a camera, right, with a sensor. So um, especially when you talk about these, you know, cameras I used to shoot with. For, for probably something like over 10 years, so-called DSLRs, right? You have a mirror reflects the side. You see everything that you, you see through the viewfinder is happening in reality. There's no sensor in between. There's no electronic thing, component that's blocking your way. Whatever you see is just a reflection on, on a set of prisms and mirrors um, and a couple of lenses, piece of glass in between. It is really what's happening out there. So. Then you take the, you know, you click the the shutter and a picture is taken. I mean, you know, the the mirror flips up, um, the the sensor is exposed, boom, it records what you've seen a split second, a, a two a, a four thousandth of a second before it records exactly that. And so in a way, you you always see a picture with the eye, and then you see it and you record it with your camera with your sensor. And that for me is, I I need some distance first before I can really think mm -hmm. about coming up with a story, coming up with a narrative, with a, you know, being creative with this, because I, I, yeah, I need to just let it sit and let it sit in my mind and my gut, um, especially if there's more intensity, you know, there's also certain jobs where you come back from, I'm from, from the event and you cut the footage right away because in the same night it has to go live. So that's also something that works and that is also beneficial because then you're still like hot from the event and you, you, you still you're sparking with like the energy that you see, especially if it was a high, high energy event and maybe a running event or some sports event and people were excited and you, you captured that excitement. And while you film it, while you take the pictures, you already make connections in your mind to remember this instance of this shot. Oh, that was a great shot. I'm sure this, if I slow this down to, half the speed it will look just fantastic and it will come across so nice and the light was nice wow like this this situations also happen so then it's also cool to to have the connection to the edit right away but in certain mm. instances especially with with trips that are a bit more emotionally um challenging well then you know i'm happy to take the flight home first i'm happy to sleep a night over it that's what what i usually do right it with vlogging or with editing pictures for myself I sleep at night and then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, so what do I want to do? What is the narrative? What's the perspective here? It helps me a lot. Mm. Super interesting perspective, I think. 
when you what i find maybe the most interesting about your uh, your story um is i think a little bit that internal conflict of uh, being a business analyst and on the other hand like a creative content creator because um yeah you said i'm i have to um put 40 hours of of work into into creating a vlog um and then if you look at maybe the the number of um, followers the number of views they are not um skyrocketing is mm. that for you sometimes a problem um to have like those uh, two personas within you <laughs> to say like ah well it doesn't pay off like there's no kpi there's no return on the investment <laughs> like i'm gonna stop it that's a very very smart question because um for anybody who has not looked into youtube there's an entire um framework or like a, a user interface called youtube studio where you have lots of analytic data coming in there's lots of kpis you know some as with every kpi as every key performance indicator there is some of them are just not relevant and others are just very relevant if your goal is to grow for example if your goal is to make money with this with this thing with this thing you call youtubing with this vlogging or whatever it is you want to do so that is that is something you also of course have to look into at some point right if mm. you want to be successful right away there's certain things you can do there are certain angles you have you, you can you can take um and there's lots of learnings to be to be done about how to you know be successful with it something i just decided or well something i realized is just you know depending on the angle you, you select on a topic people are going to watch it or not and that's interesting for me because i set up my goal not to become famous with vlogging and to 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 make money with it right away right i mean of course if it gets along why not but it was not my goal I, it was not for me it was not the purpose why i started this weekly vlog mm. for me the purpose of starting a weekly vlog was to learn how to do vlogs efficiently and that's kind of where my number kpis are my my, my own way of, of measuring my own success or my my success of this vlogs uh, kicked in because I, I i thought okay if i want to do a cool a, a cool story that is also well researched and has like different you know lots of sources and an opinion but also um, an unbiased opinion as possible which is so difficult these days anyways um but just trying to find some truth which is um and i mean truth is a very very dangerous word but finding some some facts on certain topics and portraying them in an and as unbiased way as possible um and doing that with the confidence of uploading content and saying yes i'm i'm okay with it i'm happy with the quality it is and that was my goal and learning over that that was my my declared goal from the beginning i wanted to learn how what it takes to do these youtube videos because before mm. I did, you know, videos for clients, I did videos of this event and this backstage and the, or this behind the scenes and there and this plan and this product and whatnot. But telling a story over myself as a person and putting myself as creator Lexmouth in, in the first row, so to say, or in, 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 you know, in the spotlight and tell a story over that, that was my goal and understanding what it takes to make this happen and what it takes to make this quicker and more efficient. Because then if, I want to put somebody else in there. I 
want to be able to to tell the story of this person and not just Lex Mouth in the spotlight, but I don't know, somebody else who actually has something to say and is not just making up topics that he wants to, like me, but actually something that is really worth watching for anybody. Then I want to be very good at uh, at bringing this narrative, at bringing this story to all the viewers there are out there and mm-hmm. being successful with this story and quickly, you know? And not just taking three, you know, taking three shots, taking three takes, but like Casey Neistat, who films everything once because he doesn't have time to film everything three times. It just there's no there's no option. So it has to be right the first time. And I think that's just something to live by in our time where you can just basically record 24/7 and you can record everything a couple of times. So that's mm. something that that really triggered me and something that I really put on the list of my goals for, for this project. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic learning experience. If you do something 40 hours a week, you will learn something about it. And then you realize, okay, if I cut my videos from 10 minutes, which is 40 hours of preparation and, and, and production into five minutes, or if I just limit myself to five minutes per week, then of course I can do it in 20 hours. And if I, you know, get better at the process, I can maybe do it in 10 and four and, and three hours, maybe in two hours with the same quality, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. So a bit of rational, bit of rational idea behind a bit of my, you know, data driven and, and efficiency German mindset, but also, you know, taking it as opportunities to always find new ways of telling a story because there's a billion ways to do that. And, you can do it in very creative ways and you can do it left, right, up, down and, and with like effects and no effects and, you know, giving yourself some space, but limiting your space and time as well to do that is, I think, yeah. very important in a creative, in any creative job. You, you said um, quite interesting that uh, you didn't start a vlog, for example, to become um, famous. However, do you think that sometimes the filmer or photographer of the project should go should get more um, attention because I find that sometimes quite um, interesting that, for example, you have like a very cool uh, documentary or also like uh, running the roof uh, documentary. And then you see like those, those people like in the movie and then there's just one line and says like film and photography, (laughs) but but isn't this person like, do you think that it's like, do you think there should be also a little bit of shift to give more, more kudos to the, to the photographer I think, who made it possible. I think the shift is already is already there. The shift is there in the form of people who were before only, you know, behind the camera, suddenly being in front of the camera and being more visible. Because what you're asking about is is the visibility of the creator. Mm. And with the with the advent of, of YouTube and online broadcasting, the creator suddenly becomes the person in front of the camera especially in a times like now where you can't have a team of five people and two actors, you know, it's you who's telling the story. And that's, you know, for a lot of people, that was a great opportunity. If you think about all the tech videos you watched and everybody who's telling you something about how a certain function in Excel is working or how, you know, how you, you can reset your vacuum key, you know, all of that is, is there's, this is people who tell you that that's not, it's not AI, it's people, yeah. it's creators. And some of them are in front of the camera, some are just doing voiceovers, and, but all of them have done this. There's not a second person who is telling the story. It's, it's the same person. If you compare that to, you know, Hollywood productions in, in, I don't know, let's say the 60s, 70s, 80s, 
the cameraman is was on the front and i mean okay this 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 example is maybe a bit whack because i mean in in 2020 or 2021 hollywood there's also not the cameraman in front of the camera and behind but i guess you you get my point the visibility in these days especially with the online um the online content um platforms is there Mm. But, yeah, maybe but, just it just happens on different platforms like it, it doesn't happen in the documentary but then it it happens like maybe on instagram or twitter or whatever where they give get like the the appreciation for that project maybe right and i mean it's also you always have to think that the the job of a of a filmmaker is is not to necessarily to be in front of a camera but suddenly the person behind the camera has the ability to also be in front of the camera because the technological advancements are just enabling these people to do that. You know, you could technically take a drone and a clip on mic. So you have good audio and you have video and you can walk around the, 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 the drone will track where you're going. You can walk across the savannah and tell a story about how, you know, news and, and, and uh, gazelles are, are migrating across the, the desert and these kind of things. You know, you don't need somebody who's following you with a camera anymore. Um, the same yeah. with selfie sticks, the same, you know, all of these tech, from a technological perspective, there's a liberation when it comes to the storytelling on that level. Um, mm. So it's, it's more possible than ever and more, I feel the creator is more empowered than ever to be in front of a camera as well. It's never been that easy to tell a story, good and bad. I mean, there's never been so much content as was released last year, you know? I think in 2019, there was 100 hours of content uploaded to Facebook every day, or maybe even, even you know, every every hour. Not yeah, quite sure about my own, my own facts there. I have to fact check myself, <laughs> but... Um, so that's that's just crazy, you know? It's just crazy how, how possible it is. Do you think that you see the world a little bit different than than other people? I mean... Did anyone ever tell you um, that you maybe have like more attention to detail or that you see certain things differently? Because I think you have maybe like also two perspectives, right? Uh, one with your eye and one maybe like uh, through the lens or is that pretty much the same for you? And by, by the way, just to go back, uh, uh, call back on my quote before, it is 100 hours content per day on Facebook, at least according to my source. <laughs> so don't, <laughs> don't take it for granted, but hey. That's at least the statistics I read. Um, regarding your question, uh, I do believe that there's a certain, in inverted commas, eye you can develop as a photographer, right? If you took a million pictures, eventually you will you will be able to a certain extent to understand how a picture will look on a camera, right? When I think about the hundreds of thousands of pictures I took in so many instances, I took a picture because I saw something beautiful. Let's say you know, you get up in the morning, you, you watch the sunrise and you take a, per, a picture of a person, right? A friend of mine is watching the sunrise. I take that picture and it didn't convey that atmosphere. And then I looked at it. And in so many cases, I looked at the technology, like the technology behind. I was like, have, do I have the right lens? Is my lens expensive enough? Can I get better? Forget about it. Because in 99% of the cases, it was me who was doing the wrong shot, who was doing the wrong picture. Mm. It was just an untrained eye. Because I was taking the, for example, I was looking at, you know, too, too close to the person. He couldn't really see where this person was at because in this moment I was so captivated by the atmosphere of being on a temple and sunrise in, I don't know, in, in Bagan in Myanmar, for example. And, you know, he couldn't really see that any of that on the, in the background of the picture. 
So that is why framing is so important to all the, the story you want to tell. And I believe, I'm, I'm a strong believer that this is something you can train just by trying it, trying it, trying it, trying it, trying it. Just as, you know, my, I don't know, the, the 12th episode of my vlog is way, I think is way better in terms of how coherent I can tell a story compared to the first week. It is practice and the same about taking pictures. But the good news is that everybody has a phone and you can practice this even with a phone because an iPhone or any Android phone, majority of Android phones these days can take better, better pictures than you know the, the the camera phones from from the from the 2000s or even the professional cameras from the 90s let's say so it's crazy because you can really practice this if you see something beautiful i don't know maybe it captivates you that there's a high dynamic range i mean the, the sun is maybe setting and the sky suddenly is really red and at the same time there's a green bush and you just like the contrast try to take a picture review it think why is it so bad oh Maybe because the bush is a little bit too dark. Next time you press on, on the display of your smartphone, you press on your camera app onto the bush, you get the exposure higher on the bush. You know, these kind of things. It's just seeing things. And then understanding also when a picture is point one not appropriate and point not to point two is not going to happen. It's not going to be as beautiful. I mm. at some point during traveling and you know, having my camera around me all all time and people who know me can 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 confirm that. You know, whenever you see me on a on a journey, usually I have my camera really close by to me, not to lose it, but also to take pictures whenever the opportunity comes up. And sometimes there's just instances where you know, oh my God, this is a fantastic situation. The atmosphere is great. Something happened. You see an expression in a person's face. You see a composition right in front of you, where my inner eye as a photographer would say, wow, that's a great shot. But by the time I would take a picture, either with my phone, either with my camera or whatever, this moment would be gone. This moment mm. never existed. And then it doesn't matter because I, I can't capture it. And in these instances, I realized that I just take the picture for myself. I take it in my memory, right? I look at the situation. I'm thinking, well, this is how it happened. And I will remember this. And then it's it's fine for me, you know, because... And of course, in other situations, it's not appropriate to take a picture. Or it's just not, it's just not, you know... There's just no dignity or there's lots of instances where you just don't yeah. take a picture. Or not possible as well, right? <laughs> I, mean, I always find it funny when you want to do a picture from the moon. That's, that's yeah, my best phone camera. That's my favorite thing. Beautiful moon. And then yeah. you take it, the picture and then you just see like a white golf ball and like I love it. Let, let me let me Instagram that. Yeah, of course. I mean there's always so much so much or just as much as you can do technological wise, but I'm also a strong believer that um, just because a picture is possible doesn't mean you should take it. You should always mm. think about what you take pictures of. Um, and, you know, especially when it comes to travel photography, especially when it comes to taking pictures and telling people stories. It's such a sensitive topic and it's something that is very close to my heart because I, you know, in situations where I'm not sure if this person is okay with that, I prefer to not take that picture. Um, you know, it's it's weird because it's digitally available. So I don't know. It's in the end, everybody has to decide on their own. And I met many photographers who have a completely different opinion on that, which I also respect. But for me, it was always, you know, safety is first. I don't want to take a picture of a volcano and then it would be my last picture. Um, mm -hmm. And second is dignity is always always key. Safety for everybody around. Second is dignity. Should I really take a picture right now? Should I really? Like, 
you know, it's funny that your friend fell on on their on their face when when you were out with your friends, you know, drinking. But should you take a picture, or should, should you just let it go? You know, especially yeah. be, because our phones are available. If somebody is really pissed and mad, and you take a picture or video, and the person asks you to stop, is it really cool to c continue filming? I don't think so. Hmm. Very interesting uh, perspective because I think a lot of people think uh, think differently about this topic, but I I would agree with you definitely. Is there is there anything that you do besides uh, being in your filming and photography bubble to that sparks your creativity? Oh yeah, everything. I mean, one of the reasons why I love my job that I'm doing now, why I love telling people human stories, is because there's just so many different views, opinions, and perspectives on topics, life in general, all these kind of things. Everybody has a completely different mental setup, right? Everybody perceives, mm. the, I believe actually that everybody perceives the world completely different. It's a, it's a miracle for me that all of our individual minds can perceive colors in the same way, you know, that we can talk about something subjective like color, is this green, yellow or red in a different yet, uh, language, you know? It, it's still, it's, it's, it's blowing my mind that this kind of consensus has been found. But uh, on a more practical level, um, there's lots of topics that I really, really find interesting and that, uh, you know, it's, it's inspire my creativity, um, running, for example, sports in general, but I'm not so much into soccer. I've never been, <laughs> I'm really bad with, uh, with soccer and, and cars. I also have no idea of cars also doesn't spark my interest at all. Soccer and yeah. cars never could never really no idea. Um, but sports running um be it just regular you know jogging or ultra running um is is just something that really inspires me and that i mean calling back that story about Tajikistan, which was inspiring or last week i was i was doing a, a production in in germany because it's not possible to go to go abroad at the moment so we had a, a shooting um a shoot sorry in english it's it's shooting is a different <laughs> meaning but a shoot yeah. uh of of ultra runners in in saxony in sächsische schweiz um swiss saxony i'm not sure what what that is in english um and that was really inspiring as well to capture their story about why they go for for ultra runs which is trail running you run on a hiking path but you do it for 60k 100k 300k you know the sky's the limit and understanding what these people how their mind is made of what their mind is made of and how they overcome these obstacles that we all have when we don't want to run anymore, be it for 5k yeah. or 10k or 100k. You know, we all have a point where we want to stop. How do you overcome these obstacles? Super interesting, very inspiring uh, for me. Although I, I couldn't, but never say never, but it's not on my bucket list to run an, an ultra marathon. I realized every time I run a, a marathon, that's, you know, long distance is just not for, not something I really enjoy. Yeah, but maybe it's a process like the photography. So maybe, you never yeah. know. Maybe yeah. at one point you pick it up, right? Yeah. Never say never. <laughs> never say never. Um also like I think a good a good question, uh never say never. Um what is the plan for the future for you? Do you have anything big planned? <laughs> or is it difficult with corona? Well, difficult but not impossible. I think that's something that many creators, I can only talk about the even the creative bubble I'm part of in in my in my ecosphere here in Berlin, um, where of course we I I 
I'm saying we, but I should rather say I I realized I, I witnessed it my you know firsthand that it's difficult to um to of course start new projects, find new projects and carry out and produce new projects, um, as everybody has right now. Um but it's not it's not impossible. It is possible to find these these you know things. It's it's not it's not you know you can't go to I don't know to Hawaii for a shoot now, but you can go to Sächsische Schweiz and that is completely legal and you know you get all the permissions and permits. It's a couple of, a bit more paperwork and you need to be you know on the safe side when it comes to everybody is taking distance and you know all all these precautionary measures you have to take. But it's mm. possible. It's possible to do this, and that's you know very empowering to see that these projects are still keep, you know keeping keep happening. Um, you know, there's still stories that have to be t- that have to be told. I think that's that's the main message here. Nobody yeah. just because there's a virus doesn't mean that people forget about stories and are are less you know need less inspiration from other people who who just have a story to tell. So that is something that inspires me again or empowers me to to see that there's still the necessity to tell these stories and that's why what keeps me going um that more maybe on a philosophical note but uh practically speaking of course growing growing my my business you know if if you start in a in a in the creative sphere or in a creative industry um you need to usually you start in in just expanding your network and shaking hands and trying to get you know, acquire new projects as you as you go along, which is difficult now because shaking hands literally is impossible. Um, yeah. or is, is illegal, which is not what my intention in the beginning of, of this self-employment or, or freelancer project um, really was, um, to, to not be able to shake hands. I thought, okay, let's go, you know, <laughs> two months later. Yeah. Nope. So that is something, you know, over, overcoming the current situation and, and breaking open these doors, um, with safety and of course under the legal uh, framing is is my goal for the short term just expanding my business and you know um, telling more stories and and uh, just having more projects in general i think that's just on the short note and then expanding my idea of of the the agency that i founded uh, in the background um, behind uh, this idea of telling stories right i mean lex mouth telling stories is fine but in for the bigger picture, um, my friend Patrick, I talked about, you know, on that story of Carnival at same body uh, and I, we started a company called Menschlich and um, it's focused on, um, on a couple of things around uh, the human. Fair fashion is one point, uh, one, point, one point, which is part of the company, creating fair fashion where everybody benefits, the people who do it, you know, who create the fashion. Uh, who, who produce it are fairly paid. Um, the person who buys it, who wears it, has a has a fair piece of clothing because it's actually quality. You know, it doesn't. It, it's not like don't want to call out names, but it's not like a you know pick it up and throw it away after a couple of wears. Um, so it is mm-hmm. actually um, it, it lasts longer than your average shirt, your average sweater, your average X Y Z, and also the you know, in the the people in the middle also can live with it. This is the idea of, of our fair fashion approach. And this circles back to the human, you know, the focus on the human. The the other part of it 
of menschlich is is my uh, my my part which is you know this creative agency around it which is you know my baby i'm 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 trying to expand on the same on the same note telling human stories mm -hmm. and you know it's it takes more than one one lexmov it takes more than one alex to tell these all these stories so i think that it can be used as a platform as well but of course it's difficult to you know think big when everybody tells you to stay at home so that's something for the middle range and the, maybe the the long the long term but yeah. um yeah really like every every morning i get up and i'm i try to tell as many stories as i can and it's not like you know the romantic idea of going from village to village and you know just playing playing the guitar and you know telling stories but it's it's a of course, the hard hustle of acquiring new projects and carrying them out and delivering to clients and these kind of things. So, mm. but hey, it's the it's the creative business, and I, I really like I really love actually being part of it. Super nice and exciting, exciting times ahead, and I think that's the the most important point. Yeah, I mean, not completely. We're not running into a black wall. I think this is something that people forget on a daily basis, right? That we are that everything is going to stay this way. It's not. It's not. I mean. In a couple of months, we're looking back at the point where we're at now and, you know, in winter, and it obviously sucks, especially in a city like Berlin, you know, you, you have very few things that are really cool in winter, except of maybe your internet connection and Netflix, but um, in, in summer, come summer and things might already be a bit more, you know, fruitful and suddenly there's also the warmth and it lifts your mood and then suddenly, you know, there's less and less and less restrictions when it comes to the freedom that we have. Mm. So. And that's all cool. I mean, we were looking ahead in, a, in actually the right direction. I think that's the the overarching mindset that is important to have in the moment um, and to be ready when it's when it's time to be you know to go bold and big again. Yeah, really nice and and, and hopeful message, I think. And um, I think with that, I also want to slowly bring the the podcast home. I think today we, we learned a lot about uh, Alex, a lot about uh, Lexmouth, because I think there are two different people. Uh, I think m one is more the, the business analyst and the other one is the, the creative wizard that just wants to go for it. Um, so it was amazing to to get to know you and uh, yeah, to, to get your perspective on many, many different topics. Before we, before we end the podcast, I always have uh, three final questions that I ask every guest. So I'm also going to ask them to you if you, if you agree with that. Absolutely. So the first question is, what are you not very good at right now and you want to become better at? Oh, you really pull out the, the most difficult questions, most reflective questions in the end. Huh? For um, sure. I'm really bad at, at, um, at juggling right now. I mean, if you're every, every freelancer out there knows that there's, you know, more than one project happening at the same time. Um, mm. And I, in the last couple of weeks, luckily I had more, like I was, I was way more utilized, like towards the 110%. And I really like that. I like being, you know, challenged. Um, but that sometimes means if you're not a hundred percent German in your mind, as I would like to be, and not a hundred percent focused on all of your project at the same time, something is going to fall off the back, right? It's kind of natural, but I, I kind of hate it at the moment that there's certain projects that are just coming short. Um, mm. There's lots of, lots of things also happening aside from the creative sphere there's there's an entire thing about coding which might even take another another podcast but um that's also a project which is coming up in the pipeline lexmouth the coder let's see uh, follow me on github um but uh yeah i mean it's difficult to to juggle everything 
successfully. So something sometimes it just has to, you know, you can't be productive for 12 hours per day. But if I could push this a little bit more towards the the 10 hours per day, you know, then that would be that would be amazing. Yeah, or like the Jon Olsen formula, 50-50, uh, 50% what you want to do and 50% what you have to do. Yeah, That's yeah. Uh, how he built it. It's <laughs> also what, what Paul Rupke says when it comes to content for your own, like content strategy for your Instagram, right? 50% of things that you do for clients and 50% of things you really want to push, or the messages you really want to push out. Or not mm -hmm. just for clients, but also 50%, I assume, for for you know, the things that people want and 50% for, for things you really want to say. And I think that's more more relevant than, than ever. Shout out to Paul Rutke for that and Jan Olsen, of course, for that. Because um, if you start with a YouTube thing, you, you realize that, you know, there are certain things you want to say and certain things that people want to hear. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what name would you give this chapter of your life? Uh, also a good question. Marcus, that's... it's. I think that's more challenging than the, than the entire podcast before. Um, wow. Um, I think when I when I started this chapter, I had this this picture in mind where I just started running actually. So, like, running I think is a good is a good metaphor for this part of my life. You know, there's the the running. there's the part where you you know you 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 follow your track and you just go forward slow and steady and then at some point you don't want to make it too cheesy but then you know at some point you might be in front of a, a fork you know in your in your path of life and you just decide to start running into into the other way that you didn't intend and see what happens and you know with the speed that uh, maybe a, a last notion here with the speed and the ability you have when suddenly you have all the time of your 40-hour work week if you take a 40-hour work week If you have these 40 hours per week for yourself, you can invest these 40 hours with confidence into something that really inspires interest and brings you forward. So that's something that suddenly nothing is stopping you except for your own mental health, of course, and your own your own ability to breathe. Mm, exactly. Last question. I hope uh, not the most difficult one. Um, if you could send the SMS to all mobile phones in the world, what would you say? <laughs> Smile. Smile. Imagine you're some, somewhere somewhere in, in the entire world. Maybe you just started your motorcycle and it died under you and you're just thinking, oh, how can this be even worse? And you get a text message, you just open up your phone and it just says, smile. Don't forget to smile. I think that's something that we all need to do a little bit more. Perfect. Perfect ending for a really, really nice podcast. Um, Alex, uh, thanks a lot for being here. Um, I think it was very interesting to have you as a guest and to get all the insights about content creation, photography uh, and vlogging. So thanks again for being here and um, for everyone else, uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for having me. We are not running into a black wall. That's the expression that Alex used to describe the current Corona pandemic. And I think it's very important to sometimes also realize that, that there is a after pandemic and there is a after Corona because he also got hit very hard in 2020. Just before that, he started as a freelance photographer and then the pandemic started. And of course, uh, he could have stopped and could have maybe like applied for a different job. But I think he really pulled through. And I think that's the, the positive story and the story to share today that he then um, discovered uh, several segments in the photography and filming scene. So he started weekly vlogs. So also for 
for everyone a big big recommendation to check out his youtube channel lexmouth and yeah last but not least i think it is a, a big big learning for everyone that he had a, a normal career he had a corporate job but then he decided um, step by step to to reduce his working hours uh, and then focus a little bit more on his own career and focus on filming and photography and now he can do what he really wants to do he can work creatively and he can work with amazing people to tell human stories if you like this episode don't forget to like and subscribe and we talk to each other next week yours truly marcus